Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. It's brought to you by Jamie and the team at West Yorkshire Electrical. They specialize in all things electrical, including solar panel installation for home and business, battery storage, security alarm, CCTV, LED lighting, testing and inspection works. Fully accredited, of course, for your home and business. Finances available for work on both your home and your business. Covering the whole of Yorkshire and beyond. Head to wyelectrical.co.uk for details or search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. And it's Dan here from The Square Ball with Phil Hay from The Athletic as we do the early part of the week when we review what's happened at the weekend. And in this case, we'll look ahead to QPR as well that's coming midweek. So back down to earth with a bump then, Phil. It's something that we spoke about on the show on Friday where we said there was kind of a bubbling sense of confidence around Leeds, but there was a warning. I think it was Michael who sounded the warning saying, you've got to be careful in the championship because sometimes you can just come up against teams and it just doesn't work. And lo and behold, that's how it unfolded against Southampton. It did feel like a bit of a classic championship reminder, championship wake-up call. Although I don't think in any way you make the best of the circumstances down there by conceding as early as, as Leeds did. I mean, it, it was slightly difficult beforehand to tell exactly how much pressure was on Southampton and, and was on Russell Martin, but it was pretty clear that the, the situation wasn't great and, and wasn't going to plan certainly in terms of results, but I think there was frustration with the crowd about how they were playing. Um, it wasn't quite falling into place after a, a pretty good start. But if ever there was a, a blueprint for how to ease the strain on a club that looked fairly under pressure or, or are feeling it slightly, then then that was it. And it, it did just allow Southampton to, to shape the game in the way that they, they wanted it to be played. I think if you contrast it with Millwall and, and Ipswich, two difficult away games in, in their own right, what Leeds did well there and what they succeeded in doing on, on both of those occasions was weathering a little bit of early pressure and getting into the game, scoring, getting themselves in a position really where they were able to dictate and, and were able to, to control to a certain degree. I think once they conceded early on, it was absolutely critical that they scored the next goal. But it was quite it, it was quite startling really to see a team who had four clean sheets on the bounce. 1-0 down after two minutes, 2-0 down after 31, you know, 3-0 down before half time. And I think that was the big question for Farka afterwards was why had a side who'd been so defensively sound and and in his own words, you know, it described them as as rock solid. Why had they gone from, from being rock solid to actually looking very, very patchy at the back and conceding in, in the way that they did? Because I know 
we spoke on uh, on Thursday about the the 2005-06 game, the Liam Miller magic. But that you know you, you cannot count on that regularly. You don't you don't get lightning striking twice like that very often. And realistically, they were never going to get away with the first half. Um, it was it was always going to be a defeat from three 0 down at half time. I think. And I never got my twenty minute text again, did I? And a second promise broken. No, I didn't. I didn't dare. No, but I think if if I had, and I don't imagine you or anybody else would disagree with this, we'd probably have been saying they're going to lose this, aren't they? they I don't know. It it felt and looked really lethargic for a team who'd been very sharp and and on the ball right the way through. And I accept that Birmingham was a, a difficult game, but again, a lot of background to to that fixture. But that aside. Leeds have genuinely looked really good, I think. I think they have looked decent. They've had several good weeks now and and it's all been building slightly and it just didn't feel at the same level on Saturday at all. That The pressing didn't feel as intense. I thought Southampton's, to be fair to them, was very good. And I think in Southampton's performance, you probably saw what hadn't been working for Russell Martin in the previous two or three weeks starting to click and starting to work better. Um, It's probably as much pressure as I've seen Ethan Amper do under and, and neither he nor Glenn Kamara were really able to to control the ball enough in midfield. I, I did think that Southampton's 4-3-3 dominated um, Farker's system. I wondered if Farker might switch it slightly at halftime to try and match up to their three in, in midfield, which seemed to give them the, the, the kind of edge of dominance that they needed. Um, but it was a kind of shift to, a kind of like personality switch where suddenly Leeds just seemed a little bit off the pace, a little bit slow in the decision-making Step behind Southampton when it mattered. And I think it was a deserved defeat. The way I saw it, Phil, do you agree, is that this is the first time not only have we been pressed like that, but we've been pressed like that by players of that quality. I think it's the best side we've come up against this season. Well, I tweeted beforehand and, and I was I said, just um, retweeting Southampton's lineup, and I said that, you know, whatever's been going on down here, there are some really good players in that team and, and they genuinely are. And I think there's the makings of a, a very strong championship side for, for what's rest of, left of the, the rest of the season. That's going to depend on Martin's coaching and, and management, but I don't think he's short of, of good resources down there. The press was certainly a problem. It definitely was. And I think you'll find with Southampton that when it works for them, they're extremely difficult side to, to play against. If you can play through it, then as you've seen in, in prior games involving them, there is scope to to hurt them and to get in behind, but it didn't happen enough for Leeds. And I think as well, you know, talking about Leeds just being slightly off it and slightly below the level, I think that moment in the second half at 3-1 down, that great ball from Ruta through to Piro in the box that just needed a perfectly clean touch, which, you know, not easy, but for a striker like him, you just think and take that on one foot, finish it with the other. And I think at 3-2, it would have been very much game on. I mean, I was I, I noted one of the comments from Martin afterwards in the press conference where he said, we were hanging on a bit in the second half rather than continuing to be relentless. And that was because of the form that had gone before. You know, it was kind of in our heads and it was kind of encouraging us to be a little bit cautious. And I think that tells you that there definitely was an opportunity on Saturday to get into Southampton and to make that bit of tension work for Leeds. But if you concede that early on to what felt like a very... It was almost like a training ground attack. That It was very simple and very straightforward. No real pressure on Walker-Peters for the pass. Armstrong able to get him behind. And, and admittedly, a really good finish from him. But that sort of situation after a minute and a half, it sets the tone. Fingers were being pointed at Liam Cooper at the weekend. Fairly or unfairly, um, in your opinion. I know Farker said in the, in the post-match press conference that he wasn't having it, that it was necessarily the centre-back partnership that was, uh, that was the problem. But a lot of people 
said it was. What do you think about the the starting eleven and the decision not to play Cooper? Uh, sorry, not to play Rodon rather and play Cooper instead, and and how that sort of factors into you know playing your best eleven and all that. The starting lineup was kind of a surprise and, and kind of not. We discussed on Thursday whether or not the lineup might be unchanged, and initially we said yeah, probably will be, but then when it occurred to us that Rodon had been suspended and would be back. I think all of us kind of felt that Rodan would be back into the, the centre of defence because I don't think there's any doubt that he's been Leeds' best centre-back this season. And I'd go further than that and say he's probably been one of Leeds' best players. And I take into account the red card at Hull, which was slightly unlucky with the first yellow card, you know, probably a bit daft with, with the second one. But it, it, he falls into the same category as Ampadu at the moment, I think, which is that if, if Rodan's available, you, you're very tempted to play him because he does seem to have made a difference. And I think that was the, the the question and the point we were sort of putting to Farker afterwards was that, you know, was it a bit of an error that he wasn't in the team? I almost feel like watching Rodon, he increases the speed of the passing out um, from the defensive line. I, I think he's he's very good at that, very good at connecting with the midfield as well. So it's probably less about Cooper this than it is about whether Rodon should play, which I think at the moment he, he definitely has to. But absolutely no doubt at all that with that first goal, the, the organisation across the back four just wasn't there. You had Cooper stepping out as Armstrong goes in behind him. I think if you do that, you've got to have the entire back four moving so that you are springing the the offside trap. Whether or not VAR would have called that offside or not, I don't know. It's kind of immaterial in the championship. It was kind of immaterial on Saturday, given the way VAR was coping with offside anyway. But it, it was a very, very simple and straightforward goal before the finish. Very simple and straightforward attack. Easy to get in behind, too easy to get in behind. And it just didn't seem as if the, the organisation was there. You know, small bone, free in the box to finish. Um, and then Armstrong again, no pressure on the pass to him on the edge of the box um, that set him up for the third. It just wasn't, it just didn't click on Saturday at all in a way that it had previously. I came away thinking to myself, We've already seen Leeds play much better than that. We know they can play much better. They have to play better than that. Um, and I think they will. Have we seen the first legitimate criticism of, of Farker there by not acting at half-time? Because he said that he didn't want to embarrass the players by taking him off at half-time and making changes at half-time. Sent him out to go and remedy their work. And to an extent it worked because they won the second half 1-0 if you like. But the game was pretty much dead and buried by that point, wasn't it? And even though they got goal number one, they never then got a proper foothold after that. Yeah, I never go with the idea that winning the second half is a thing, really. Um, you either win or, or lose the game. But I, I take the point that Leeds had more of the second half. Southampton didn't have a huge amount in that period. And Martin said, you know, as I referenced earlier, that, that they did seem to be backtracking slightly because of what was in their heads about the, the previous results. The, the point he was making about half-time, Farker, was that he didn't feel that it was it was due to individual players that they were, you know, in the position that they were in. He he seemed to think there were aspects of the first half that were unlucky as opposed to errors on, on the part of Leeds. I don't think he felt um, that there were specific players who he could hook justifiably um, without pulling some of the others. And I mean, it, again, on the, the subject of the lineup chosen by him, his explanation for it was that he didn't feel after playing so well against Southampton that he could explain to any of the 11 players on the day and who'd played well, um, sorry, against Watford, who'd played well against Watford. He didn't feel that he could drop any of those 11. But I guess there do come points at which you you have to have to be ruthless. And perhaps that was one where he needed to be on Saturday, particularly because I think Southampton away was always going to be a more difficult fixture 
than Watford at home. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned about the system. I did wonder if there would be a tweak at halftime, which, which there wasn't, just to try and negate Southampton's midfield slightly. As I say, if, if it had gone 3-2, then you might have been looking at 2005 revisited, but it just didn't feel like it was coming. And what about when the subs did come then? One of the things we, we picked up on in the match ball just after the game was uh, the lateness of the subs because they started to happen, what was it, around the 70th minute mark? Yeah, I mean, at, at which point it was 3-1 and I suppose we, we were kind of sitting saying in the press box, to get something out of this, you don't necessarily need to score around about 70 minutes. You know, even a goal with five minutes left will make the crowd jittery, will will make a difference. But the subs didn't make a, a huge difference either, I don't think. It didn't feel like a day that Leeds were, were going to get anything anything out of it. And you're right, I mean, in, in terms of Farker himself, this is probably the first time where he's had a bad weekend. Um, a bad weekend that, you know, he's kind of answering for because it comes down to individual errors or it comes down to um, his decision with the team. Whereas previously, you know, Leeds have played really well. And, and after the Birmingham game, there were ample number of reasons why they lost at St Andrews, the, the only other defeat of this season. Um, so I think it will be very much in his mind to make sure that, that Leeds get it right against QPR on Wednesday. We'll see him tomorrow. We'll hear what he has to say. And, and it will be, I think as well, quite fascinating to see whether his observations of what happened on Saturday are different, having had you know, 48, 72 hours to, to dwell on it. One good thing to come out of the badness of a defeat, I suppose, was that the reaction I don't think has been disproportionate among the fans. There's very much a feeling, I think, overall, and you tell me if I'm wrong, of it was just a bad day at the office. We go again on Wednesday. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And and I think realistically, you have to look at it like that because, as I say, it's been predominantly a, a string of strong and, and good performances. And that's probably, if we sort of sideline the Birmingham game because of the, the issues around it, that's probably the first time where it leads at relatively full strength or with, you know, a good hand for, for Farker to play, have looked second best on the day. And it is, in a lot of ways, it is the championship. This does happen from time to time. I mean, I said to you a couple of weeks ago, I don't see this team taking much in the way of 5-0 hammerings. And there was a point, obviously, at 36 minutes where I was sitting thinking, that's going to look good at this rate. And, and it didn't quite get that out of hand. But I think perhaps on another day against a team who didn't have that kind of underlying nervousness that Southampton might have done after the previous results. It, it could have it could have gone that way and it was just kind of out, out of control in the first half. But you do have to be rational in saying that these seasons are incredibly long. You've got hard winter to go through. Um, it's not the time to be taking kind of snap judgments about, about the side. But I do think in terms of something like Rodon, he does, he's looked to me very, very good since he's come from Spurs. And I do feel like Leeds will be better defensively with, with him and the team. Yeah, I mean, two defeats in every nine is not horrific, is it? When you break it down, what we have to now do, I suppose, is turn the draws into into wins. Um, the ones that have kind of slowed us down, slowed momentum at the start of the season are the ones that we've drawn. We've drawn probably a few too many in this early stage, which means we're a little bit detached now from the from the teams at the top. So hopefully a bit of momentum, a few wins under the belt, and we'll um, we'll start to just claw, claw back that points difference up towards um, Ipswich and Leicester. Yeah, I think the fact that Ipswich and Leicester have been so good obviously changes the complexion of the table. If if it was quite an even field at, at that level, everybody winning a few, losing a few, um, then the gap doesn't look so good. But it is already, you know, nine points to, to switch in second. It's 11 to Leicester at the top. And and you have to be careful, even, albeit only October at the moment, you have to be careful that you don't lose touch completely. It's, it's very easily done that because it doesn't take much in the way of poor results if other other sides are flying um, for the gap to become pretty wide. but. 
we talked through the summer about the, the fact that what was going on in the off-season takeover and managerial change and the, the, the huge amount of churn and, and, and flux in the squad might compromise them to an extent this season. The, my prediction right at the start was kind of sixth, which was to say the playoffs, and that's not looking that's not looking wildly out of order um, at the moment. I think I, I did, as I say, came away from St Mary's thinking the potential for Leeds to play much better than that is quite clearly there because we've we've already seen it, and I think there is still the scope for them to be extremely strong this season. But that that is just a reminder of of how consistent you have to be to make sure that you you stay in the hunt all the way through. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Attention turning to Wednesday then and QPR at Ellen Road. They're sat in 22nd right now. Yeah. Just a couple of places off the, off the bottom. Uh, a bit of distance between them and Sheffield Wednesday at the bottom who look to be in an absolute mess, don't they, the, um, at the minute. But it's an ideal opportunity, it feels like to me, to restamp your credentials, if you like, and and just to almost hit the reset button a little bit after a bad day at the office at the weekend. Yeah, a good week in general for that home games in particular, which which help and and make make a difference. I think I, I think it was good to see against Watford that the there was the means and and the wit to be able to work their way through a, a low block. And again, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm really not expecting QPR to come and be wildly ambitious. They have, they have struggled. And I think while other teams at the bottom, certain other teams like Middlesbrough, look like they're starting to turn the corner slightly. It's not shaping up too well for QPR at the moment. You're right about Sheffield Wednesday. They look like they're going to book one of the relegation places very, very quickly um, at this rate, unless they get their act together. And they are far more in the way of problems than just purely what's what's happening on the pitch. But I, I suppose the, the the really interesting aspect of QPR and, and the, the questions for FAR tomorrow will be what changes with the team. I find it difficult to lay too much of the blame on Kamara and Ampadu on Saturday because I didn't feel as if the way in which Southampton were pressing and the way in which Leeds were distributing the ball was giving them much chance to do a great deal with it. So while you sort of fully expect Ampadu to stay in the team, I guess there is the question of does Archie Gray come back in? Does does Farker mix it up a little bit there? 
That aside, I mean, is this possibly a good night for Jaden Anthony to make his debut? I think that could be could be justified. Um, but the I think I suspect all eyes will be on Rodon. Really, does he come back into the centre of defence? I think the answer to that is surely yes. Yeah, I would like to see Jaden Anthony. He's um, he's sort of come up on the rails in terms of his uh, his basically his output so far for Leeds. It's kind of been slightly understated because he was almost a bit of an afterthought, wasn't he, to the the whole Sinistera drama. And actually, his coming in has looked really, really quite bright. Well, yeah, I mean, he's a really good championship player. That's the thing. He was very effective for, for Bournemouth in this league. And I think we'll be for, for Leeds as well. And I think in the absence of, of Nonto, who's gone for surgery, going to be missing for a, a few weeks, somebody like Anthony, this is a great, great chance for him to come to the fore and start making, making a difference. Um, the, this is the thing, see, I look at the squad and I do think that there are, give or take, two credible options for each position now. I, I genuinely think that. And I know there's the criticism of Cooper and there always is criticism of Cooper, but I still think you can get performances out of him. I just think we're, we're moving into the, the period now where there has to be a transition, doesn't there? In the same way as you're looking at Luke Ayling and thinking, it can't be forever at right back. You know, Ayling can't just play there forever. Eventually, it does have to be a, a passing of the baton. You know, that's probably happening at, at centre-back as well. And we're probably not far away, actually, from a lineup which has in it virtually no players who featured heavily or at all in the um, in the promotion season of, of 1920s. It's a long time ago. Things have moved on. Things have changed. And, but I think from Farker's point of view, the ability to recall Rodon, to have Anthony as an option, to have a number nine back on the bench in Bamford, who's clearly going to have to get up to speed again. But, you know, it is, I think, an asset in the, the, the championship still. It's not a bad hand. Um, it really isn't. But I think Saturday just reminded everybody that it's not a doddle in the championship, ever. I've got a friend who was at the QPR Coventry game at the weekend who uh, gave me a, a first-hand scouting report and said that QPR are terrible and you're going to score six was the um, <laughs> was the assessment. So I uh, wouldn't say no to that. It would certainly it'd be nice to lay down a marker again, wouldn't it? By um, I think a comprehensive home win would just um, immediately get this one out of the system. Feels a little bit like in that in that regard, it's a little bit like you know we've spoken about Bielsa's first season back up in the Premier League when they just kept the wins ticking over on the board. And I know in this division there's a, a requirement to win far more games if you're going to get yourself up there and in you know in the promotion mix. But um, I think it's important to shake off these defeats quickly, isn't it? And and get those points back on the board. Well, that that was what Bielsa almost always managed to do in the Championship was that when when it got difficult, when it got tetchy, when it seemed to be getting a little bit out of hand. It didn't become endemic and it didn't set in to the point where it was unmanageable or it was it was doing so much damage to the season that either automatic promotion was completely lost or playoff position was was completely lost. You cannot go through a championship season, or it's very rare, with little in the way of defeats. Even your, your best sides in the league are going to pick them up from, from time to time. And I don't think Leeds have come into this season well enough prepared, just purely because of the, the way this, the summer was structured, to be completely bulletproof. I, I do, again, I have to say, I do like a lot of what Farker has done with the team so far. I like I like his coaching and I like the way he is, you know, his, his demeanour. Um, I think he's a he's a good fit for the club. But this is going to happen. And I suppose as a coach, this is, they would always say, this is where you earn your money. You know, this is where you earn your money when it is when it doesn't go quite so well as it did in Southampton. Can you turn it on its head quickly? Have a good week and and put that to bed. And and I, I, you know, I'd be confident of thinking that the answer to that is yes. Do you know all that much about QPR and Gareth Ainsworth's side beyond their league position? Um, I'm just um, just googling 
the latest and they're going to be missing Morgan Fox one of their defenders is uh, due to be out but beyond that I'm a little bit in the dark I guess we spent too much time in the you know in the heady heights of the Premier League recently haven't we no this is it I mean there are, there are some good players there Hilly's chair being been one of them, obviously, and, and a few old favourites as well. Um, Adoma is on the books down at, at QPR. They do have the scope to be quite physical. They've got Lyndon Dykes up front. But I think in, in terms of budget and in terms of the squad, they're not a side who you particularly expect to, to bother the playoff positions. And it doesn't look at the moment like they're going to find it particularly easy to, to bother the top half. I think this very much falls into the category of game you have to be winning if you're going to get out of this division. We forgot to do the one to watch at uh, the back end of the week show before we uh, head into the uh, the weekend's game there at, at Southampton. But we said after we finished recording, didn't we? It would have been it would have been Russell Martin. We would have been looking at paying attention to seeing if he his side could react to the recent pressure they've been under. And we saw well the answer was quite emphatic, wasn't it? In that first yeah. half an hour, thirty five minutes. Um, when it comes to the game on Wednesday, are we eyeballing the defence then? As we said, is it Rodon? Is yeah, that the one to watch for, for this upcoming game? I think so. Does Rodon come in? Does he make a difference? Do Leeds play in a way where those of us who are saying might have been better at Southampton with Rodon in the back line are kind of vindicated? Although I'm not going to pretend that it's not going to be a very different game. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that the QPR are likely to come at Leeds in the way that Southampton tried to down at St Mary's. So it's not exactly comparing apples for apples. But I think if Rodon does come back in, then, then your eye will automatically turn to him to see does he make that difference? And and do they return to something like a, a side you look like keeping clean sheet as they as they had done quite impressively game after game? When it comes to the wide positions, then you've already sort of advocated for maybe giving Anthony a run out in this one. Who'd you put on the other side? It's a really good question, actually. I didn't think Somerville had a particularly great game on Saturday, but again, the, the service wasn't brilliant. The, the structure of Leeds wasn't giving them a huge amount of, of dominance. I guess it comes down to a toss-up, really, doesn't it, between James and and Somerville, and perhaps I'd be going for for Dan James on Wednesday night. I think these are the moments where you'd love to have Nonto because he is easy, kind of archetypal game changer who might have made actually a big difference in the last half hour at Southampton. You know, he's the sort of player who who defenders start to tire of very very quickly. So yeah, I don't know, Anthony and, and James perhaps could could be the shout, but again, the, the options there aren't there. Just a total left turn here, but I just want to pick your brains on the you know the VAR thing that Liverpool mm. um, endured at the weekend. Makes you glad we don't have it down here, doesn't it? Like, if they're going to make mistakes, at least we just get on with it in the Championship, whereas in the Premier League, they're still making mistakes and they're on videotape for the world to see. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I noticed on Saturday, actually, is that there wasn't a huge amount of griping about the first goal, or it didn't seem to me like there was on Twitter anyway. Um, even though it seemed to be very, very tight. I mean, we got a really quick replay in the press box. So at the time, it was quite difficult to tell. But it looked like one of those decisions which would have definitely required a, a second look. You know, VAR would have had to look at that in the Premier League. There are going to be occasions where you get stiffed by the absence of VAR, and, and that's a fact. And if you can take that, then great. If you can't, then it's going to annoy you when it happens. But I do like the fact that in the Championship, when a goal goes in, it's a goal. You know, if there's if there's, the referee hasn't seen a foul, if there's not an offside flag, if it goes in, it's a goal, and you don't have to have this permanent fix, you know, fixation in your head of wait a minute, this will probably get checked, and will there be a reason why it'll get ruled out? And one of the things that I started to find quite wearing and draining about VAR was that you start to say to yourself, this may get ruled out because of something none of us have even seen. Um, something that's gone on that you don't even realise and then you start watching it back and there's a little foul in the middle of it or that, you know, just 
something that interferes with it. Whereas in, in kind of normal full flowing play, which you get in the championship, that that just doesn't happen. I think the um, Tottenham Liverpool debacle is kind of off the scale, um, even by VAR standards. And there's going to be a lot of fallout from that. And I think a, a fair amount of trust lost in what is already a fairly trust free system anyway. Um, at the moment, I, I personally, I'm not missing it at all. Um, but I don't doubt, as I say, that there will be points in the season where you wish it was there. Strange, isn't it, though, how this problem seems to be almost exclusively plaguing us in England and VAR seems to be, broadly speaking anyway, doesn't seem to have the same kind of problems when it comes to Europe. And like you've seen, the, is it the Champions League where they've got the semi-automatic um, yeah. size that they were running in the World Cup? It's, that seems to function a lot better. So maybe the sooner they can get that in place over here, the better. And it removes that human element that is still the, the the main point of failure in this system is always going to be humans isn't it yeah absolutely and even though you're using machines you're not removing humans completely because as you saw on saturday they they're still operating um var as it is and yeah i think that the semi-automated offside will have to come in there i don't but that seemed odd to have resisted it seen seen as how it seemed to work so well in the world cup or seemed to work fine in the world cup but i don't know like VAR feels to me like a permanent battleground, the sort of thing that people will still be fighting over in 10 years' time. It seems beyond the Premier League to get this right or to, to make it make it good or good enough. But there's a really good piece, and it was written um, a while back by Adam Crafton at The Athletic, which was just saying the, the problem here is that you're striving for perfection. And once you start striving for perfection, it's like the enemy of things being good. You know, th- there are statistics that show or say that referees get somewhere in the region of 90% plus, 95, 96% of decisions, right? Or certainly on the basis of study that was done a while back. But everybody is unhappy about the, the two or three, four percentage points that, that aren't covered. And yes, you can use VAR to try and redeem that and, and to try and eradicate those errors, but it's never going to happen and it's never going to be perfect. And one of the big issues of VAR is that it does kind of promote this idea that it's leading to some sort of referee imperfection, which is just never, ever going to be there. But in saying that, what happened in the Spurs game was just a ludicrous mistake, um, that, that you know, ludicrous feeling that shouldn't have happened. Um, so people will have to answer for that. You're right as well. It is worth highlighting the um, the change it has made to the match-going experience because there'll be people who you know watch this show on YouTube, listen to it in the podcast feed, won't be aware, haven't been to a game and are not, enjo- uh, like I was going to say, enjoying, enduring VAR as a prospect from within the stadium because you you don't know what's going on half the time, do you? I mean, I know no. in, over in the press box, you get the benefits of your of your little tellies or whatever and you can sometimes see what, yeah. they're, what they're doing. But even then, you, you're still not hearing the um, the discussion between Stockley Park and and the referees, what they're telling them to look at, which was the big point of failure, we should say, in the, in the Spurs-Liverpool game, that it seemed so obviously on side that they said check complete, didn't they? And yeah. the, this, the yeah. ref wasn't aware that because the on-field decision had been offside, that it's just a huge breakdown in comms, isn't it? So you, you sat there in the stadium thinking, well, what, what exactly are they looking at? Who are they looking at? And, and you get a sort of a hint of it on the screen, you know, checking goal, foul or whatever, but you are just sat there kind of going, well, this has changed the, the whole experience that I've grown up watching for many, many years. I don't yeah. know what's going I'm on. I don't, I, don't know what, yeah, I don't know what I'm seeing with my eyes. I'm just sat here kind of in the dark. No, I don't I don't think any of us can say that we've enjoyed football more because VAR is is wiping out the, the odd error here and there. And I know I know this sounds cynical, but it seems to me, and I felt this for a long time now, that the, the actual your actual match going support, match going crowds are miles down the list of priorities when it comes to Football's authority, football authorities and, and everything else. I don't think in any way the considerations of how to improve VAR would be made 
with respect to what's going on in the ground. The, the discussions are there's some talk that the Premier League are going to introduce um, 6.30 kickoffs on a Sunday, which, you know, in my experience of trying to travel from London will make it absolutely impossible to get, you know, home back up north from somewhere like that unless you're able to drive because um, the train system's absolutely dismal. It just does seem that the, the kind of attention paid to those who actually pay to go and to travel and everything else, their, their place in this food chain is forever much lower than it should be. And I only see that getting worse. Well, in terms of the match-going experience, we should have another full house. Ellen Road, under the lights. Always like it under the lights. It's great. Should be a fun experience, another fun night. And I think my enthusiasm for that has not diminished off the back of this defeat at the weekend. So we go again, and you're looking forward to it? Absolutely. No, in, in a lot of ways, you look forward to it a little bit more after a game like um, Saturday because it leaves things to rectify, doesn't it? It leaves things to improve. And I always like seeing how managers, coaches, players cope and react and adapt to, to days like that because no doubt at all that it is a little dent to the confidence that sort of game however much you can say look bad day at the office and I think that's probably what it was but however much you say that you still come away thinking well that wasn't great was it and you still think I think would imagine at length about where it's gone wrong about what you haven't done right about why you've underperformed and there will be that urge to get back on track on, on Wednesday because I do think this group of players kind of have the bit between the teeth. I do think they fancy it this season. I think they can they can make it happen. But as we were saying, there is already a very long gap opening up to to the top two. So they need some consistent form and it needs to flow, you know, it needs to flow for a good sustained period of time now. Home win? I think so. I hope so. I hope so. But then I always say that. I always say that. <laughs> you were you were messaging me saying four three that three nil down. Yeah. You could have been yeah, and but then I did um, I did asterisk it towards the end when, when it was quite clear that Leeds were not going to get back into it, and I did say on aggregate. So we've got to beat them. <laughs> got to beat them three 0 at home later in the season. Cheers, Phil. We'll wrap it up there. We'll get back together, you, me, and Michael towards the end of the week, and we will see how the QPR game went, and we'll preview the Bristol game heading into the international break. See you in a bit. Thank you. The Square Ball Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 